Uh, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, dear friends, uh, this morning we are faced with a, a difficult fact of life, aren't we? The Lord God him, himself, he, he comes and he says to us, guess what? My ways are not your ways. And my thoughts are, are not your thoughts. It's just really how it is. You and I must come to that place where falling upon our knees we're able to admit, you know, God, I do not naturally think about things the way you do. And, and Lord, I do not naturally act in the way that you would have me to act. Lord, I am a sinner. Right, there, there's a, the famous scene that takes place with, within the, the temple where Jesus asked his disciples, who of these two men do you think is the more righteous? No, there, there, there is that Pharisee standing there proudly before the altar of God saying, you know what, I... I tithe. I give 10%. I'm living a righteous life. I go out among my neighbors, smiling, spreading some of that word of God around. I am really cool. Right? In today's vernacular. And then the, the disciples see the, the other fellow, and you know, he, he's kind of crushed down by life, and he, he's on his knees before God, and his prayer is, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And, you know, who, who might we, we think is more righteous? You know, and from our human perspective, we might think, you know, oh, there's that, that clean-cut guy wearing that nice wool suit. And he, he's smiling and, and laughing, and, and we can look at his records, and, and he's given 10% of his income. He seems really cool. I'm going to be friends with that guy. And from our human perspective, again, we might say, you know, that, that guy, he looks kind of rough around the edges, you know? And he must have really did some stuff to be kneeling at the altar and weeping and, and calling out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I, I don't know for sure if I really want to invite that guy over, you know, for dinner this week. I don't know what he's been into. But the Lord comes and he tells us, you know, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are, are not your thoughts. Deep down inside, the fact of the matter is we are broken since the fall. Right, and, and you kind of remember all of that background. You know, there, there were Adam and Eve, and, and they're highly favored by God, and God loves them so much, he gives to them the world. He commands them, go and have dominion. That is kind of mastery. Or, or go and have control. 
You know, over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature. The world is yours. Now, he, he, he created them with, you know, a purity of heart. He created them with an intellect to be able to manage the world in the way that they should. But in, in some kind of a, a, a failure... Eve begins to take the advice of Satan, doesn't she? Behold, the, the, this fruit, you know, says the serpent, says Satan. And Eve says, oh, no, no, God said, don't touch that one. Well, you know, it, it, it's nice to the eye. And behold, if you eat of it, it will make you just like God. You will know both good and evil. You see, right there, Adam and Eve, they, they didn't know about evil. They didn't know about sin. They didn't know about going against God's word. But behold, if you eat this fruit, you will gain knowledge, right? You will become more smarter. Go ahead. And so the scripture says, no, Eve took a bite from that forbidden fruit. And then she offered some to her husband as well. And, and he ate of the apple too. Adam and Eve right there invited Satan to come and rule in this world. You see, God was the ruler. He gave the rulership over to Adam and Eve. This world is yours. And they said, it would be nice if Satan helped out. Look. The difference of that is the world that we live in, a world where Satan was invited to come in and do the things as he saw fit. Adam and Eve did gain the knowledge of evil, didn't Kind of surprising when most of the time Satan lies to us, but he told the truth in that part. They learned about evil. We know evil now, don't we? Much to our detriment. But that's where we live. That's the world we're born into, and we're born broken then. There are times we cannot quite grasp what the correct course of action is. There, there are times that we hear from many voices around our country that about something God says is evil, and they say, oh, no, no, that's good. Oh, it's okay. Oh, it's just part of life. It happens. Right? You look at God's word, and, and he says, no, a person that does this thing will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then you go to your friend and he says, oh, it happens. It happens. Don't worry about it so much. Well, oh. But maybe that thing isn't really so horrible as the word of God makes it out to be. Maybe I should begin to kind of change my, my mind to fit in with the culture because, you know, we get kind of tired of being in conflict, don't we? And then being tired of being in conflict, we lay kind of a religious icing on that cake, don't we? We say, oh, peace, 
peace. Doesn't God want us to be at peace? But then for example, we have that verse like we had a, about a week ago where God says, you know what? If you see someone doing evil, you see someone breaking my word and you don't warn them, their blood will be on your hands. Right. Wow, that makes it serious again, doesn't it? If you and I know that there's someone out there committing homosexual acts and we fail to warn them, the Bible says their blood is on our hands. If we know someone engaging in adulterous relationships and we fail to warn that person, their blood is on our hands. And we say, well, you know, certainly if someone was out murdering someone else, and then I would tell somebody, then I would warn them. But these other things, oh, come on. I must deal with that. Peace. Peace. In our text for today, the, the Apostle Paul is writing his letter from prison. Now, how do you suppose the Apostle Paul wound up in prison? What are, are maybe some of the ways that he got there? It was for preaching the gospel when the governing authorities were telling him he needed to shut up about it. Now you think about the culture of ancient Rome. When the Romans would come in and conquer a new people, they would say to them, if you will just surrender... We will take the gods of your culture, we'll take them to Rome, we'll begin to worship the gods that you worship. You can keep your, your own worship places open. You just have to pass a, a little bit extra tax and everything can continue just as it is. In fact, when Paul was touring through the ancient world at one time, he noticed that there was an altar to an unknown God. You see, in, in the ancient world, it, it was just, you know, that that realization was there that everybody kind of has their own personal God, and, and we certainly don't want to look, <coughs> overlook anybody's God. And so when you come into town, you can see this altar, you know, to the unknown God. And then you can't, you know, get, get on the, the internet and start tweeting about how your God isn't being honored in this particular community. And, and you can't get on social media and cry and, and whine about how, you know, other people's gods are respected in the U.S., but yours is left out somehow. Because then, then we could say, oh no, see, we have this altar to the unknown God. It was the one we didn't know about, but thank you, sir, for introducing us to this new one. That's what the ancient world was like. 
And of course, the Apostle Paul comes into that community preaching, Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Now we kind of see where the conflict begins to take place. Paul is going to kind of, in a sense, ruin the unity of the Roman Empire. Right? Because what, what do they depend on? They depend on you know, being inclusive. They, they depend on you know, monitoring their, their own tongues. They're not saying anything bad about anyone else's religious viewpoints. Right, we, we, we have you know, the, the art form of you know, just kind of double talking always so nobody gets offended by what we say. And, and you know, if you don't say anything bad about my faults, gods, I won't say anything bad about your faults, gods. And we all can just get along. And what did Paul do? He came and he told people the truth. There is only one way to heaven. That is Jesus Christ. And the only way that you're going to be able to follow that path is if you change. If your ways in fact become God's ways. And your thoughts in fact become God's thoughts. But no, in our society, in the ancient Roman society, people like to just kind of run around and go, I can't help myself. See? In the United States today, we, we seemingly believe that as well, don't we? Oh, look at that group of people over there. Oh, they just can't help themselves. Oh, it happened. Right? Oh, look, look at those people. Oh, they, they can't help themselves. God reminds us, my ways are, are not your natural ways. My, my thoughts are not your natural thoughts. Guess what? You know, you need to fall on your knees. You need to come to the realization. You need to repent and say, well, there is something better. There is something more. I can begin living my life according to God's will. I can begin doing things the way that God wants me to. I can actually start reading my Bible every day to find out what those ways are and what those thoughts are supposed to be. It takes work, though, doesn't it? No, I, I think perhaps what we've done is we've raised a, a generation of lazy people that don't want to put in the work, that they don't want to make the effort, you know, sit, sit at home and, and play my video games. And maybe when I graduate from college, mom and dad will let me move back in and I can sit in my room again and play some more video games. And, and maybe I can do that till I'm about 40 and, you know, mom and dad will kick the bucket and then I can just kind of, you know, take over the house or something. You know, I, I don't know what the thought is. Right? We seem to have a generation and, and, and that's their way of thinking and God comes in and he says, guess what? There is a better way. You can begin to follow my teachings. You can begin to live according to my word. 
You can begin to do the things I have called you to do because Jesus Christ, my Son, died to free you. You see, really, we we only have two options. Either we're working for God or, or we're slaves of Satan. There isn't a, a, a middle position. Now, sometimes, again, in the United States, especially, we like to try to teach that there is. You know, here's this person, he's not, you know, going to church, and he, he's not quite following God's will in, in all aspects of his life, but he's not really evil. It's kind of what we like to say, isn't it? But guess what? You're a slave of Satan when you're born. Right next week, we're going to have a baptism. Well, why are we going to do this weird thing? Why are we going to have this weird kind of a, a, a you know, baptism? What, what's it really going to matter? We bring a, a little baby up to the, the front of the church and, you know, the, the pastor goes through a ceremony and, you know, he puts a little water on the baby's head and he says, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all oh, isn't it just kind of coy? No, we, we baptize babies because we're all born in sin and we're slaves of the devil and we free that little baby from Satan's grip. That's what baptism does. And that little tiny baby becomes a child of God. That little tiny baby moves from slavery in Satan's kingdom to becoming a little baby in God's arms. Free. New. Child of the living God. That's what the wonder of baptism is all about. But we start start to forget those things, don't we? Guess what? On the very day your mom, your, your, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa you know, brought you forward for baptism, you became God's child. You were freed from Satan's power. And you can live that way for the rest of your life. But yeah, we don't always do it. You know what, even though being free from the, the grip of Satan, he's still after you, he's still you know, trying to drag you back. And You know, maybe if I ask each one of you privately, you maybe could remember a, a span of a, a couple years or something like that when you would have to say, you know what, I denied God, I followed Satan, I did those things that the Bible says that a person does them, they won't inherit the kingdom. I was out there. I was doing those things. But guess what? God was out there too, wasn't he? And the fact of the matter is that because you came back to church, God reached out again his hand. He conducted yet again a second act of grace. He brought you back into his fellowship. 
He called you by name once more. But it was because you fell on your knees. And you maybe came up to the altar in a particular church and you yourself cried out in your heart, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And just like the prodigal son returning home in that wonderful story we have in the Bible, you know, God ran to you again. And he took you in his arms again. He held you to his chest. He said, my son, my daughter, they've come home. They've realized that what they were doing was wrong. They returned. And there's a great party in heaven. When you came home again. Dear friends, God loves you that much. That even though perhaps there was a time when you shook your fist at heaven, perhaps there was a time when you took the Lord's name in vain, perhaps a time when you willingly committed sins that God specifically said would keep you out of heaven. God still loved you. God still wanted you back. God still took you in his arms when you came home. That's the God that we serve. Can you help yourself? No, without God you can't. Without God your, your thoughts are, are jumbled. Without God you, you can't think as God thinks. You can't act as God acts. But with God all things are possible, aren't they? When you have the Holy Spirit back in your heart again, you come to realize what's right and what's wrong. And with God leading you by the hand through the pathways of life, you come to understand what's good and what's bad. And with the Word of God penetrating your heart and your mind once again, you come to know the truth. That we're broken. We're born that way. We don't always do the things that, that we're supposed to do, and especially when we get estranged from the church, when we don't have that weekly fellowship, when we don't have that steady diet of God's Word, it's so very easy to go astray, to begin to just think within our minds, oh, you know what, maybe, maybe that part of God's Word that don't really agree with right now. Maybe that was just for those old tiny people. But it's not true, is it? The Word of God is for each of us in all generations. It remains still the same. We're the ones that need to change. We're the ones that need to reflect that word of God once more. We're the ones that are called to be light in this dim 
generation. Now, what does the world really do to people? You start to stand out, it seems that the world wants to tear you down, doesn't it? You start to shine a little brighter than that other person and someone comes along and says, oh, you better tone down a little bit so you fit in. You start to, to do things in this world that are a little bit better than other people are doing them. And someone comes along and says, oh, you're just showing up. Right? You're arrogant. You think you know better than I do. You claim you worship the one true God. Well, what about my God that I worship? See? That's the world. But Paul comes and he says, stand out. Even if they put you in prison, even if they take away your freedom, stand out. Even if now you're going to begin your prison ministry, begin it with a smile. Begin it with joy in your heart. For the Lord who is righteous and just and faithful will keep you in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. <coughs> Amen.